The scripture reading comes to us from the book of Acts today on this Mother's Day. Worship service, uh, verses 36 to 41. Let's give our full attention to this. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone, <clears throat> and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. This is part three of Better Friends. We've been studying over the course of about three weeks since Easter Sunday that if indeed Jesus in reality becomes your friend or the best kind of friend, he turns and changes his people to become better friends. And we learned three positive practical features so far of becoming better friends. First was priority time, regular, invested, sacrificial time, time and space. Prioritize that. Second, we learned about multidimensional care, like holistic care, physical needs. When someone needs comfort, comfort. Correction, they need to correct course. They need to change course. Because you care, you correct. Priority time, multidimensional care. And then third, which I can never just skip over because it's the most necessary and the most difficult is forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation. There is no relationship, let alone friendships, that can be close or that can be sustained or can flourish without learning to forgive and reconcile. We just read the passage from Acts chapter 15 where even Apostle Paul himself, you would deem him as a spiritual Holy Spirit filled saint, but he had a falling out, a sharp disagreement. He sinned. Paul was sinful. It was not pleasing to God. He ended up falling out with the author of a gospel, the second gospel, John Mark. And they parted ways and went in different directions. And God can even use two different directions. That's split to amplify and double down the spread of the gospel. But in no way is the separation of the split between Paul and John Mark pleasing to God himself. And what we learned at the end of last week is... John, Mark, and Paul didn't just preach the gospel. They ended up practicing it. John, Mark, and Apostle Paul didn't just share and speak about the gospel of what Jesus has done. But they lived it out. They reenacted it. And that is a remarkable story of reconciliation. I don't know... Maybe a more powerful historic illustration of forgiveness and reconciliation than this one. Um, in post-apartheid South Africa, everyone expected a cycle, a cycle after cycle of 
bloody vengeance, as is the case in world history, in most all countries. But Desmond Tutu and Christian leaders gathered together and they set up this commission for truth and reconciliation. They, uh, this was in the mid-1990s. They invited perpetrators to come forth and share their stories and to ask their victims for amnesty. In a crowded courtroom one day, a man by the name of Vanderbrock came forward to share and confess his crimes to a woman. Vanderbrock, here's what he confessed to. I and others came and took your son, and we shot him. Then we took him outside, tied him up, and we burned him. Vanderbrock went on to say, eight years later, we came back to your house, and then we took your husband... We put tires around him, poured gasoline upon him, and we burned him alive. The unknown woman replied, this is what I ask. I ask for three things. Number one, take me to the side of the burning of my husband so that I might scoop up the dirt and perhaps give his remains some final rest. Number two, I'm still young. I'm not ready to die. I have a lot of mother love to give. But you have taken my husband and my son from me, so this is what I ask of you. Two days every month, you will come to my house, and you will live with me. You will stay with me all day long, and you will be my son, and you will let me love you. The third thing I ask is I want you to know I forgive you. I forgive you. And I believe that God will forgive you, but that is between you and God. So I want you to do business with God. You cannot forgive yourself. And I cannot forgive you on God's behalf. You have to go talk with God. But I forgive you. And to express tangibly my forgiveness, I want you to walk across this courtroom so that I can embrace you. Courtroom records tell us that Vanderbrock stood up to cross his way toward this unknown woman only to faint. And the entire room broke out in singing, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, that kind of ability or power does not come from you. I mean, need I even say that? No matter what upbringing or training or education or willpower or good intentions or philosophy you have lived by, uh, that does not come from you. It only comes from Jesus. It only comes from a friend like Jesus, a savior like Jesus. Because Jesus turns former enemies into friends. He loves and has the overcoming power to change hostile hearts into friendly hearts. All right, well, today in Becoming Better Friends, part three, the last one. 
two more practical features today. All right, number four, number four. Becoming a better friend involves feeling what you feel. To feel what you feel. Uh, there's a whole book entitled Job. It's based on Job, a historic figure. And he suffered devastating loss after loss after loss. Uh, he suffered much more than anyone in this room will ever have to suffer. I can almost guarantee that. He suffered cataclysmic loss after loss after loss. And his so-called friends, what they did was they came along and they quoted Bible verses and they gave him principles and they wanted to try to tell him, Job, obviously you must have done something wrong for all of this hardship and all this calamity to befall you. But you know what Job needed most from his so-called friends at that point? He didn't need principles. He didn't need lectures. He didn't even need sermons. What he needed his friends to do was for their hearts to break with his. That's what he really needed. You know, sometimes when you go through devastating sorrow and stress and loss, you need people to grieve and to lament with your heartbreak. In other words, to feel what you feel. Yeah, I've had to learn in many shapes and forms and many different times, you know, Harold, it doesn't matter if you went to seminary. It doesn't matter how much theological intelligence you have. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you can quote, albeit that is very foundational significant. Actually, it doesn't even matter your training. It doesn't matter your skill set. It doesn't matter your gifting. It doesn't matter your previous record. If you really want to touch people's hearts and to bring about healing and help, real help, you have to learn how to feel what that other person feels. You know, in other words, theological intelligence is uh, not as important, I think, as relational and emotional intelligence in the scriptures. You know, my family and I actually just, my girls and I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Part 3 and you know, when the first trailer came out before that franchise even broke, I thought it was going to be the silliest, cheesiest thing in the world, but it turned out to be one of the most charming, one of the most captivating Marvel characters out there. And you know the character of Mantis, the one with the antlers, I don't know what that is, but she can discern and feel what people feel. It's a superpower. The guardians of the galaxy superpower. You don't think Jesus can do that? Did you know Jesus does that at least with you? Look at Hebrews chapter 4. We read here in two verses For we do not have a high priest whom we just sang about before the throne of God. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, I've often found, even with a spouse or even the best of friends, 
You know, you kind of have to look for the best time and space. You know, you kind of have to look for when that person has a bandwidth, even the attention span or the energy to hear your sorrows and griefs. But my friends, you know, no one's going to come close to our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who is available 24-7, infinite resources and supply. His bandwidth never runs out. And no one, you should never expect someone to take the place of your great high priest. He sympathizes. He empathizes. He alone perfectly understands and he learned to feel what you feel. Aren't Christian people called to do the exact same thing? To rejoice with people who rejoice and to weep with people who weep. To become a better friend means to feel what that other person feels. A very intriguing passage for me, since my college days actually, never gets old for me, is James chapter 2, starting verses 20 to 23. Here's what it reads. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. He was called a friend of God. All right. Verse 20 and 21. Don't get confused. Anyone and everyone in this room, the only way you are justified before a perfect, holy God, that means to be legally declared blameless and not guilty. The only way you have all your sins forgiven and covered so that you can approach a holy God and be loved and accepted and welcomed by him is by faith alone. Faith alone. Only by faith. Faith is just that leaning, relying, trusting, just clinging on to someone for dear life. That's all it takes. It's never by your works. It's never by your works. Christianity is the only system that tells you it cannot happen by your contribution or your works. It's only by how much you need and trust someone else. Well, what is James saying here then? Well, it seems like he's contradicting. No, he's making a point. He's trying to make an emphatic point. Here's what he's saying. You are only justified and forgiven and loved and accepted or saved by faith alone. But that faith itself, that saving faith never remains alone. That saving faith produces works. That saving faith bears fruit. If you have real saving faith, it works out in obedience. In obedience. And then James gives us an example of this. In the life of Abraham, believe it or not, God told Abraham, the father, the granddaddy of faith, I want you to take up your one and only son, you know, the child of promise, you know, the miracle child, you were way too old to bear, but I still gave you a son. 
I want you to take up that same son, lead him up a mountain, and I want you to perform child sacrifice. That's right there in Genesis chapter 22. It's right there in the Bible. The God of the Bible commanded Abraham to sacrifice and to give up his one and only son, Isaac. And remarkable, Abraham was willing and he went almost all the way. It says he had the blade in midair. He was about to plunge it into the heart of his only son. But God stopped him through an angel. God stopped him there because God never wanted Abraham to really slay his son or to sacrifice his son. God never wanted Abraham's son. God only wanted to elicit and to strengthen the faith of Abraham. He wanted Abraham to show that his faith was for real in obedience. Because what Abraham was asked to do, God himself would do instead. Listen, what Abraham was asked to do upon that mountaintop, God had already committed himself to do in Abraham's place. Because there would come a day that God would lead his one and only son. God would take his one and only son. Jesus Christ up a mountain. And he would sacrifice. He would allow him to be slayed. For the sins of the world. For the sins of the world. Now, do you understand why Abraham could be called a friend of God? Is there a higher compliment? Wouldn't you like that on your tombstone? So-and-so, comma, friend of God. Why was Abraham called a friend of God? Because Abraham, in a rare, miraculous moment, was given entry into the heart of God as a father. Abraham was allowed to feel what God would feel. Abraham could relate to how a parent would grieve the loss of your one and only child. Therefore, he's called a friend a friend, you get to feel what the other person feels. Priority time, multidimensional care, forgiveness and reconciliation, and to feel what the other person feels. Fifth, last one. A better kind of friend is one you trust when it matters most. I've had many. Undeserved. A friend 
is someone you can turn to and trust when it matters most. You know, Jesus never got married. He never bore biological children. Uh, That's because Jesus came for much more than that. And uh, the apostle John, who wrote a gospel, records that at the cross, uh, Jesus was subjected to just wide open agony and humiliation. My friends, it wasn't just a sleepless night where he didn't eat or drink and his back was lacerated to a bloody pulp and a crown of thorns that was hoisted upon his head. But I would say in certain cultures, it was the public wide open mockery and humiliation that might have even hurt more. What hurt most, of course, for Jesus, the son, was that his own father, for the first time, would forsake him. I think it's unimaginable what Mother Mary went through, right? Mother Mary was at the foot of the cross. But I'm, of course, sure that a lot of moms can imagine what Mary must have gone through, right? If you give birth to a child, you nurse that child, you raise that child, you go through years and years and years and years of, you know, incalculable transitions and changes to your own body, your own well-being, your own condition, <laughs> right? We go through all kinds of sacrifices and all kinds of thrills and joys you could not imagine in raising a child. You know, you literally give up your life. You do. You have to give up your life for another person's life and well-being. Only to someday, for sure, You have to let him go. You have to let him go. This morning on the way here, we drove all together. Taylor's back from college. Elizabeth's about to go to college. One of the daughters wrote this lovely, poignant birthday card to mom. Sonny read it. I could tell she was happy with it. And I turned to the other daughter. Where's your card? It's in my heart. It's in my heart. Moms go through all kinds of different experiences. In fact, I've been talking to Sunny for a couple weeks in preparation for this Mother's Day and asked her, what is one of the most painful parts now that we're about to be empty nesters? She said several things, you know. One would be the loss of control, right? A lot of moms want to be protective in their control, Now they're completely out of control. (laughs) Nothing you could do. You got to trust God with them. Sonny's main point was, man, Harold, it's really hard to see our daughters come up or own their own sinfulness. They're really sinful, like you. She always puts me first. Our daughters are sinful, like Harold and me. And it's jarring to be able to see that the sinful tendencies that they adopt and carry and make their own but i will tell you as her husband and father to these two daughters there have been more than several occasions i have seen and i've listened to and i have felt sonny's heart just split wide open I've never seen her heart break like this. Then in care and compassion and love 
for her daughters. I asked Sunny, what's the best part? Anything good about sharing with the CCSC? She said, oh, Harold, you got to remind CCSC the best thing is that our girls have not grown up like typical PKs or pastors' kids. It's because of CCSC that they've been raised together by the family and the body of Jesus Christ. Ah, oh, but here's Mother Mary. She's watching her son hang upon a cross. Albeit he is sinless. This mom knows. He is blameless. This mom knows. He is innocent beyond compare. And yet she is watching him. She is letting him go. Into the worst kind of possible death. At least in that culture in that time. Mother Mary, what she must have gone through. Now, the Bible helps us to tell us what Jesus, the son, went through. Just a little bit. Jesus, as a son, what he was thinking and what he was feeling. We open up to the Gospel of John here, chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother... And the disciple whom he loved. By the way, that's the author himself, John. Uh, That was his title given to him by Jesus. He didn't self-designate that. He wasn't bragging like, I'm his favorite. But he really says, I know Jesus loved me as his disciple. The disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. So Jesus' son, while in agonizing pain, turns to his earthly mom, the one who knew that she was just an earthly instrument. This child is really not conceived or born by her. It's from the Holy Spirit. This child was named by God, named by God. He was called Jesus. He came on a mission to save the whole world from her sins. This mother Mary, though, however, what kind of care and concern Jesus has for her? Woman, behold your son. Mother Mary, here's your son. John will take care of you. John will take care of you. Then verse 27 we read, Then he said to the disciple whom he loved, Behold your mother. Behold your mother. He's saying to John, I entrust you. I trust you. You take care of my mom. Will you take care of my mom? And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And he did. This exchange, this gospel recording of what happens between Jesus' son, Mother Mary, and a friend by the name of John, is everything you ever need to know about friendship. This is everything you need ever need to know about friendship. See, meaning, do you, do you have someone? Do you have someone? Anyone come to mind? Whom you can turn to and trust when it matters most? Maybe the better question would be, 
Are you the type of person, are you that kind of someone that someone else could and should trust when it matters most? When it matters most. Because someone else could trust you that you will definitely come through. You'll do everything to come through. You know, unfortunately, in the last two or three years, I've gone to more funerals than weddings now. I don't know if that's going to be the trend now. And the funerals I attend, as you know, no position or titles or accomplishments or awards or riches or possessions or property or recognitions ever can stand and speak on your behalf. Right After you are dead, only family and friends can speak on your behalf. Only people can speak on your behalf. Oh, dear friends, stop trusting yourself. Stop living for yourself. Stop living all out for what you can do for yourself. Turn away from yourself or any other thing and live for Jesus. Turn and trust and faith in Jesus. There is no one better. He is the best of all. He's absolutely the best of all. Because do you know Jesus alone can stand up and speak for you? He's the only one who can stand up and speak for you when nobody else can or will. In the courtroom of God, in the courtroom of heaven, the only court that determines eternity forever, there is a friend like no other, who can stand up and say, he or she is mine. I bled out for him or her. I gave my life for him and her. He or she is my beloved. Oh, God, our Father, accept and welcome that person because I've taken all their sin and sorrows and instead I've given them All my righteousness, all of my perfection, and I've given them all that I would deserve. And it is said of this Jesus, he will raise people up from the dead. Not only will he speak for you, he will speak you into forever life, and he will raise you up to join all of his friends into a forever after with himself and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. You know, we're going to sing this hymn. Going to belabor the point, right? It's my favorite hymn. First verse is going to be, Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. I'm sorry to say as one of your pastors, you will never taste how sweet and how sufficient and how real Jesus is as a savior and a friend until your friends do disappoint you and your foes attack you. And when no one can feel what you feel, no one can possibly fathom what you are really going through, there is someone you can turn to always and forever when it matters most. Friends may fail me, 
foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. He is with me to the end. My dear friends here at CCSC, everything we hope to do as a church, everything we can envision in our wildest dreams of what we can do for the kingdom of God, all of our programs and ministries and shepherding and small group and summer clubs, all of our meetings and all of our gatherings, do you not know that all of it, all of it, in all of it, people can tell Jesus is for real and he is the best of friends when you and I become better friends. People can smell and sense and tell God is there. Jesus is alive and well. There's something I can't really describe, but it's palpable to me that I'm, when I'm among or around this group of people, there's a friendship. There's friends. There's people like no other. And they keep pointing and they must keep reminding me of Jesus Christ. Can we pray together? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, O God, for your word and for your spirit. Lord, I pray you would bring anyone in need, anyone in need of someone to save and to forgive and to befriend us no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Lord Jesus, would you show yourself and bring them to yourself in faith to join a church and to publicly declare that they believe and belong and would follow you. Lord, I do pray that you would bring your healing, you would bring your wholeness, God, to all of our hearts right now that are broken in need. And I pray that you would serve us. Do what you do. Only you can do. Make us whole. Hear us, we pray. For we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.